Hey, did you guys ever hear about Narnia? Is that the one with the wardrobe? Yeah, I think there's a witch in there somewhere. Yeah, and the lion. Nope, never heard of it. Oh. Satirists, welcome to Swords and Satire, the movie podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, here with my intrepid holiday co-hosts. I'm Jack, a sentient pig who is in human disguise. Hope no one notices. Do I smell truffles? Uh, uh Chelsea, how's it going? <laughs> Yeah, I'm Chelsea here. Uh, Red-nosed reindeer not appearing in this film. Well, this is the special first Yule episode of Swords and Satire. We'd like to welcome you all to the show. For you first-time listeners, may you have a uh, auspicious holiday season. And if you're listening to this any other time of year, uh, just ignore all the holiday stuff that we talk about. Yeah. Or don't. I mean, whatever. You yeah. know what? You can celebrate Yule... Any time of the year. Yeah. Yule is a, um, it's a place. It's not, it's a people. It's not a place. So. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> this week, to get into the holiday spirit, we watched 2005's The Chronicles of Narnia, colon, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, directed by Andrew Adamson, and starring a bunch of kids, and... Uh, James McAvoy, he was in it, and um, mm-hmm. let's see, Tilda Swinton, uh-huh. that's another yeah. one, uh-huh. the voice of Michael Madsen, right, um, what, I feel <laughs> like I'm forgetting Neeson. someone, Liam, the voice of Liam Neeson, yes, yes, Qui-Gon Jinn, yeah, the voice of Qui-Gon Jinn, yes, that's right, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody else of note who appears the in the movie, the guy who plays The Bachelor, who, what's his name, I'm pretty Professor sure. Slughorn, yeah, oh, yeah, I just I just oh, know yeah. him as Professor Slughorn. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember the actor's name. It's not Professor Slughorn? Oh, no. <laughs> Let's just go with that. Okay, that works for me. Yeah, mostly just a bunch of kids who um, have pretty much done nothing else of note in their careers yet. Maybe, maybe that'll change. We'll see. Um, and also, um, there's the, um, the little person from Legend. So this is another... Swords and Satire alum. Nice. Um, yes. Sh- Sheeran Khan, I think his name is. Mm. He plays the Oompa Loompa in the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory um, remake. Yes. Oh, cool. And he is significantly better in this film, I think. It's true. He doesn't say the words Augustus Gloop once in this film. Oh, which that, I think is a big bonus. That alone is worth the price of admission. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think as is the standard operating procedure, we have a summary courtesy of Chelsea that will that, probably go on without any interruptions. Ooh, <laughs> that's neat. right. Here we go. The summary. 
The Chronicles of Narnia is a tale of three siblings who stick by each other through thick and thin and have literally been through war together. Literally. And they go on an epic journey to the mystical lands of Narnia. Oh, okay. right. Oh, you know what? I did forget somebody. They well, have a brother named Edmund who comes along too. Yeah, but nobody cares but about nobody him. nobody likes him very much. <laughs> and I suspect the feeling is mutual anyway. Um, so, I mean, he can be such a bore, you know, always going on about how he misses his father, who went off to war. Boo hoo hoo. And he... Wah! 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 And he can never seem to act appropriately, always trying to make jokes to lighten the mood. Oh, God, who, who would do that? Yeah. <laughs> Jokesters. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> Not even once. Mm-hmm. He is already ten years old, after all, so it's time for him to grow up already. He's... Ten? Shouldn't he be fighting in the war by now? My gosh. He should at least be a courier boy. Yeah. Lazy. So the siblings and Edmund... The Pevensies. <laughs> ...stumble into... The what? The Pevensies, right? Isn't that their name? I, that? I could never understand what they were saying. Pete, Pete's the Pevensy. That's the, the <laughs> oldest brother. So Your they, name's in my baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, basically how it sounded to me. Yes, yeah. sir. <laughs> Your children are to be seen and not heard. Oh, God. So they stumble into Narnia <laughs> and a poorly concocted political plot ripe with class struggle. Ooh. <gasps> oh! They get there through a magical wardrobe hidden in a wealthy bachelor's house in the English hey. countryside. Professor Slughorn. By making this journey, the siblings and Edmund escape the ravages of World War II and the consequences of truly wrecking shit in their benefactor's home. They arrive in Narnia, the lands out of myth and legend, to find their... No myth and legend I know. (laughs) Really? You'd be surprised. (laughs) To find they are being hunted by the White Witch, the usurper queen of Narnia who has sent her secret police, a pack of talking wolves, after the siblings, who escape with the help of a quaint beaver couple and a crafty fox ally. Yeah, that's right. The beavers show up to help. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Edmund slinks away to the Queen's Ice Castle to sell out those people he's related to for the promise of sweeties. Right to the ice hole. (laughs) Yes. When Edmund shows up without them, the Queen reveals her true colors and arrests him. Her true color is white, right? And blue. Cold as ice. Hell yeah. Cool as ice. (laughs) Um, And she forces Edmund to lead her to the the others. By this point, the siblings have made it to Aslan's war camp with the help of the beaver couple and Father Christmas. Hail Aslan. And after going through a harrowing, watery escape from the furry police. (laughs) Oh, no. The fur squad. No. (laughs) That's how they shall be known here after the first class. Dude, that fox. I'm so Ooh. surprised he's not like a furry icon. I mean, yeah, he's I my furry icon. What yeah, a, there you what go. What a fox. Yeah. Ooh. So they then join true king Aslan's army, although a better name for him might be Jesus. I didn't vote for him. <laughs> and their aim is to overthrow the false, wrong, bad queen and end the 100-year winter. Before the battle where the queen loses and has her face bitten off by the huge cat. Did I mention Aslan was a lion? Uh, You said he was Jesus. A very handsome lion. A Liam Neeson lion. I thought he looked better in the 1988 version. Yes. Yes. Uh, Aslan surrenders himself to her and her minions the night before to be sacrificed on the stone table in exchange for Edmund that he might be freed. 
in an exchange that no one understands or wants. Hey. I mean, especially the audience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The magic table cracks at sunrise and brings Aslan back to life, and he charges towards the battle to save the day and eat some face. Deus ex Lyona. <laughs> oh, actually, well, this is literally Deus ex Machina. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, mm. he's catting, bruh. Yep. Once the battle is over, they undo all the bad, evil, no good things the queen did, and the siblings, even Edmund, are proclaimed the rulers of Narnia, since they are, after all, humans. I didn't vote for them either. <laughs> and then we get a, a special scene after that where they're hunting a stag who's probably sentient, and it's a terrible tragedy. Yeah, Time really for die. <laughs> um... They find the lamppost that led them into Narnia before. What? And they're the like, holy shit, were we from another place? <laughs> they act as if they have no memory of being at home, even though some of them were probably yeah, 12 and 14. Yeah, Peter was like 16. Yeah. What the fuck is that? How do you forget 16 years of your life? <laughs> what? <It's> a car. <laughs> See, this is what privilege does to people. Yeah. They stumble back through the wardrobe being led by Lucy, the youngest of the four. And they stumble back through the wardrobe into the old bachelor's mansion. And into their old body somehow. Somehow they're all children again. Uh, the bachelor wants them to regale their adventures to him. And On the next episode of The Bachelor, Narnia edition. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's about where it ends there. Did you mention Mr. Tumnus? I left him out of that description. I <laughs> I figured we might go deeper into that in the in the bulk. Terrifying. Yes. Well, on that note, I think it's time for the bulk of the podcast where we get into whatever the fuck we want to talk about, <laughs> be it themes, images, allegories. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. Is it too on the nose to, to talk about uh, Christian allegory in Narnia, or is that... I think it's good <laughs> that we get it out of the way, right out of the gate, okay. you know? It's an allegory for Christian mythology. Yes. Aslan is a stand-in for Jesus. Oh, that's it. Jesus. <laughs> that's pretty on the nose. So does that mean the White Witch is Satan? Yes. I think so, and... Hmm. The that whole, one was a little loose for me. The whole resurrection yeah. thing is very Christ-like as well. Yeah, and the uh, the shaving and the abusing, right? That was all a thing. Yeah. That's well, good. Right, the, you know, every time that a movie does this, it gets me. I think you know? it's a poetic <laughs> interpretation of the trials that Jesus goes through. Yeah, it is. Fiction. Right. He, yeah, he, I'm not he, comfortable yeah, with it. Abused. Yeah. yeah. I'm very... Uh, this, this, uh, the way that the movie did it, or I, I guess the way the story does it, I've never read the books, so, um, I don't know, but... The it, Bible, it, or, uh... <laughs> well, I've read more of the Bible than I have of Narnia. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, there are quite a few allusions. Yeah, I mean, the reason that... I mean, Christ it, of the War it, Chief, It was right? written this way yeah. is because C.S. Lewis, the author of the uh, book series, was Christian. Converted by Tolkien. Who wrote much less uh, overt allegory. Yes. Yeah, they were friends. And they both fought in World War One, right? Uh, two, I believe. Uh, maybe it was one. 1. 1.5. <laughs> I don't um, recall. <laughs> yeah, they, they fought in the war together. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's like the resurrection of Christ. and uh, His name was Aslan. Oh, right. Hail Aslan. <laughs> Uh, the human 
children. The girls are called daughters of Eve, and the boys are called sons of Adam. Now, see, that was really what I took an issue with. Why couldn't they be the sons of Eve and the daughters of Adam? Right. Could have been. Yeah. Could have been. Or they just could have all been the children of Adam and Eve. Oh, man. Those, <laughs> those little tidbits, those, those titles are in the books. And so it's just kind of like poor, poor writing choice. Like, oh, if you didn't catch this very thinly veiled allegory, here it is right in your face. Well, I'm not oh. sure if... I'm not sure if Lewis was trying to hide anything. They nah. are children's books. Maybe he was afraid that, like, they wouldn't get it. True. Kids are dumb. Yes. Jeez, I'm Aslan. <laughs> my savior. My Messiah cat. <laughs> what? Messiah cat? Yeah. Ooh. Isn't that a character the from Thunderhawk? The everything nice. the light touches. Yeah. <laughs> Different Lion King, Chelsea. Oh, oops. <laughs> so, Jack, tell me about the time that Jesus led the war band in... Um, armed combat against Satan's army of minotaurs. You know, that's actually pretty ironic. <laughs> a big part of what Jesus was about was not being a warrior king. Well, Lewis seemed to miss that uh, passage in the Bible. Yeah. though Because Aslan leads the charge into direct warfare and bites a woman's face off. Yeah, that was sick. <laughs> <laughs> in this bloodless kids movie. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, so a lot of the references in this movie, uh, I'm a big fan of all of them, but a lot of them are very fantastical compared, or very fantastical like all of it isn't, uh, but <laughs> compared to the references he's making to the Bible, some of them are kind of like wish fulfillment, I suppose, because a lot of the people wanted Jesus to be this kind of warrior chief figure. Right. And they wanted him to be the Lion of God, but then people are... You've probably heard people reference him as the Lamb of God, because he was all about pacifism. Now, when you say a lot of people, I assume you mean the Vikings? Yes, you got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why does he look so skinny? He doesn't look like a good fighter at all. No, let's beef this guy up. Yeah, so, exactly. Jack, this is kind of bold, but are you saying that Jesus is less of a eating people's face-off type and more of a sacrifice type yes and aslan <laughs> does do that yes yes no he, he does both yeah i will confess or i will admit that it was fair to go to war against um you know tilda swinton's character who is obviously evil i mean she's a white woman with dreadlocks like what oh, could be more evil shit. than that <laughs> so that goes into let's talk about the witch that goes into um the religious propaganda that's kind of peppered throughout the film can i can i share um, this quote with you from the white witch okay. every traitor belongs to me oh. yeah that was what she said about edmund yes that's why right. uh she believed that she had the right to uh, you know take the children or, or take edmund as her uh, servant so that is a strong piece of evidence to point to her being Satan. Yes, exactly. Yes. Also, she's a primordial being, kind of the way that Aslan is as well. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, she one... seems much more closely linked to like pagan nature religion through uh, context clues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's one point where Aslan is kind of like preaching to her, or he's just like speaking to her. Or, yeah, and she shoots back with that line, and Aslan says, don't cite the deep magics to me, which I was there when they were written, right? 
Damn. And they were both there at, like, the beginning of time. And apparently there was, like, a council, so it sounds like there were other beings that were there as well. Okay. But, you know, they were both there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, was that subtext from the from the books, or... Uh, or was yes. that... that was yeah, that film? was in the books. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So... So that's what I was trying to get at with the religious propaganda aspect of the film and probably the rest of the films and the books as well, is that it's kind of a story to illustrate like Christian triumph over traditional pagan faiths, because while she is kind of um, alluded to as being Satan, she is also kind of, as you just mentioned, Jamie, a stand in for pagan gods and her followers are kind of like. Uh, traditional pagans. In yeah, although I mean, I would say that both sides of the war are. I mean, they're made up of a lot of, I guess, like traditional mythological half human, half animal. It's half non-human animal. A good way to characters. describe it is basically the Feywild. It's like a, the land of myth and legend, as I said. In yeah, in the uh, summary, we've got centaurs, we've got sentient beavers, minotaurs, uh, satyrs, pigmen. Was there pigmen? Yeah, there were yeah. boar men, yeah. but Born they were on the witch's men. side. Yeah, yeah. Um, Definite racial differences between Aslan's army and the witch's army. Yes, it's but, super so, racial. Um. I kind of saw there being some fear of wild nature, uh, and they were saying even uh, some of the trees are on her side, meaning the witch. Right, and you know, that's an interesting point, because Aslan's side has, say, centaurs, which are derived from horses, which are, you know, we often think of horses as, uh, you know, we, we've domesticated them, right? We 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 are allied with horses, you know, we've... <laughs> Humans think of themselves as owning horses yeah. and controlling horses, using them for utility, mm. whereas um, the witch's side are like minotaurs, these wild, um, like, bull people, which yeah. are a lot more, you know, out of the control and like people. bat people. So there is kind of a divide between domesticated and kind of, quote-unquote, peaceful animals, and then the more wild, dangerous, like the wolves on yes. the queen's There is side. exception to this, however. Cheetahs and jaguars are both on Aslan's side as well. Oh, that kind of yeah. does tear down my... Yeah. Uh... Cats are part of the good guys. Yeah, yeah. And So obviously we know that the story's wrong. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but, um, uh, no, I mean, I love cats. My, I want to go yeah. back to what I was talking about the before. The trees. I would um, probably be on the queen's side anyways. So. <laughs> um, so there are more allusions to like pagan traditions uh, with the henge. The stone mm-hmm. table that Aslan is sacrificed oh, on yes. is at a stone henge. But it's isn't it um, where he's resurrected though? So it kind of has a weird dual. It situates a dual position between like the kind of like rough, violent blood sacrifice of the quote unquote pagan characters, but it's also the place where he's able to be resurrected. I think you're misinterpreting it, and let me tell you my interpretation, and we'll see what's up. Sure, yeah. Um. So the White Witch talks about the Stonehenge, the stone table area is being like her place of power. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where they are able to defeat him. And that's where they gather. But he basically takes it over. So it's kind of like when ah. Christians take over traditional 
pagan sacred sites. Right, they yeah. reclaim traditions and, and traditional He's spaces. He's saying that she doesn't understand the true power of the stone table, this true power of that site, and it, it takes somebody like him to understand what true power is. Yeah. Yeah, I can dig it. Also, she definitely could not read whatever language or, like, runes were carved on the stone table. Yeah, you'd think she would know. It says around the rim of the stone table, like, oh... If someone sacrifices their life to save somebody on the table, the table will crack and they'll come back. Yeah. What, can you it like, says it right there. Can yeah. you read like ancient Enochian? Or how, do, how do you know that? Oh, Aslan says it when he comes back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. And like, boy, she is dumb then. Yeah. <laughs> so, as a female leader, a lot of pagan traditions venerate goddesses. Yeah. And I'm um, a fan. she she's, does have like a Queen Bodica look. And oh, as a cool. female leader, she's vilified in this narrative. Mm-hmm. And her, the seed of her power is made from ice. It's temporary. Ooh, oh. metaphors. Yeah, yeah nice. the kingdom does thaw yeah. as Aslan's troops start gathering. It's actually oh, yeah. the hope the children bring that starts to make everything yes. thaw out. Oh, yeah. God, children just ruin everything cool. Hey. <laughs> everything cool. Yeah. <laughs> also, before we get too far away from it, the trees do swap back to Aslan's side when things start thawing out. As yeah, the true. messengers of Aslan are kind of these like angelic women made out of flower petals that are carried on the breeze. <laughs> yes. And they have human eyes. Yeah. But you know, nightmare. You, you know that there's a gang of trees just waiting for the uh, the day where they can rise up. Yes. And they're just going to dump pollen all over everyone and then give everyone allergies. Oh, that's oh, great. That will be their sweetest revenge. Yes. So you mentioned Edmund. Yeah, he's our boy. I think we boy. should talk about Edmund. Do we have to? Yeah! Edmund is so good. So, yeah, Jack, what were you saying about Edmund before? Yeah, so Edmund, right, he's a little bitch boy, right? But he's my bitch boy. He's my boy. (laughs) Right? So, yeah, he's always, like, making, like, little shitty jokes at his siblings. Like, yeah, he's joking around, but they're at someone's expense normally. They're pretty pointed, kind of mean-hearted. He's also a liar. Yeah, he's a a straight-up liar. He goes to Narnia with Lucy... And then when the heat is on and he's supposed to, like, admit that, you know, he was there and, like, give her credence, he sells her out hard. Yeah, it's because he wants Peter's approval. And he wants Peter to think he's cool. And so he's like, no, I didn't see Narnia because Peter thinks it's fake and ridiculous. But then Peter gets pissed at Edmund when they all go to Narnia. And he's like, why did you lie about that, you fucker? Yeah. And Edmund is like, whoa! <laughs> yes. Pretty and, much. Uh, Edmund, I don't, I don't yes. trust Edmund. He's way too anxious to ascend to uh, royalty. Yeah. Ed, I don't Even know at if... the end, he's like champing at the bit to become yeah. king. And I don't think that that's a healthy... Uh, you, you know, the people who are often the ones who believe that they should be in charge and that they should rule are usually the least qualified ones to do it. Yeah, he had a lot of character growth, though. So... I've got a different take on Edmund, and I think this is going to maybe change your mind about him. Who's that? Who, my mind or Jack's mind? Maybe oh. you, maybe the listeners, we'll see. So, he is framed as... A chump. A chump <laughs> a by boy. the um, way he's treated within the film by the other characters. 
but um, let's think about it another way. This is a 10-year-old boy who is close with his father who has gone off to war, and he's extremely worried about him. So sad. He's He seems to be the closest one to his father because in the beginning... He runs out into a area that's being bombed out, runs back they're into in his blitz. home. Yeah, this is they're in London and like Germans are bombing uh London where there are civilians. And he runs back into danger just to get a picture of his father because he misses him so much. That's fair. And his family just keeps shitting on him for it. Why and can't nobody, you do what you're told? Nobody tries <laughs> to understand this boy. Nobody That's tries fair. to reach out to him. He's like the black sheep of the family. He can't do anything right. Yeah. And they're, hmm. they're always vilifying him. And so he children will um, live up to people's expectations of them. Yeah. Now, Chelsea, and would you say this is a common problem for a second child? Oh, I guess he's not the second child, though. He's the third child. <laughs> yeah, yes. darn. He's kind of the middle child. Second child. It is a common yeah. issue for the middle, middle child. Middle child. Always trying to find an identity. Yeah. yeah. And so Jack brought up the great point that when he lies about seeing Narnia before they all go in, um, it is because he wants Peter's approval. Yeah. He, the Peter oldest. Peter is always telling him to grow up. So he was trying to act like Lucy's just a child and she doesn't understand what she's talking about to win Peter's approval. And even that, after he hurts Lucy's feelings by yeah. saying that, that's the youngest <clears throat> sister, by the way, um, Peter just glowers at him and it gets mad at him. He can't do anything right. Yeah. And so he's always vilified by his own family and he's not close to any of them and the only person that seemed to give a shit about him is his father who's away at war and could die yeah yeah and so he feels like no sympathy he gets no sympathy from anybody and he doesn't really have a connection to anyone in his family so the first person to show him any kindness in the movie is the white witch and to give him candy she gives him candy she says that she likes his company she says that she wants to see him again. Yeah. And and she was nice to him. Like, we know it's fake, but he didn't. He's a 10-year-old boy. That's yeah. Fair. He's desperate for approval. And so he goes back to her hoping to get more of it, and then she shits on him just like everybody else does. Yeah. Yeah, she has a kind of a troubling cycle of abuse. Yeah. yeah. And then when he comes back, he is forgiven, but it's after Aslan sacrifices himself for him. Uh... Yeah, Aslan is kind of like, nobody lay a hand on him, and then there's a scene where he's talking to Edmund up on the hill, and then when Edmund goes back to his siblings, then they are, like, overjoyed to see him, and they all give him hugs and stuff. Even Peter, like, says a little comment that makes Edmund smile, because uh, they appreciate him once they thought he was lost. You know, once well, they thought they lost him. it was actually Aslan that changed their minds about Edmund. Yeah. He, he got them to think about him in a more favorable light. Which he stands up for him. Yeah. He does. And that's when they start to realize he is their brother and they should support him more. Yeah. And um, so when he comes back, they do start to be more supportive to him. And he responds to that in kind. And he's an, a lot a nicer person. All he wanted was approval and acceptance from his siblings. Yeah. Fair. And he's important for the rest of the movie. He has yeah. a horse named Philip. <laughs> yeah. My name is Philip. <laughs> yeah, the horse tells him that. Yeah. Nice. Apparently that horse is one of the talking. And in the final fight, he uh, he helps to save Peter when he's dueling with someone as well. Yeah, he actually takes a hit for Peter and he he dies protecting mm. Peter. And he's then... mortally wounded. 
Yeah. He is dying. Yeah. And then um, Lucy uses her, you know, magic juice to bring him back. Her gift from Santa. Oh, yeah, yeah. we have to talk about Santa Claus. Father Christmas, actually. Ah, uh, yes. The fake-out scene with Santa. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm all, like, getting hyped, like, oh, Father Christmas is going to come, and it's going to be, like, that scene in uh, Christmas Horror Stories, but this time, it's not going to be a... Uh, crazy person's delusion. It's going to be actual badass war Santa. And uh, he gives the kids a bunch of uh, weapons that they're totally not qualified to use or have any skill with. Don't think they had proficiency when they were given those items. Yeah, I don't As think usual, so. Edmund gets nothing. Yeah, he's not there, you know. He got candy earlier. Yep, that's all he got. He got candy and hot chocolate. <laughs> yep. I mean, which gift would you pick? Candy and no. I mean, I picked the bow, obviously. But. Oh, that was pretty cool. Dude, I want the syrup that heals all your wounds. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I want the bow and the syrup. What if they swapped after Santa left? Nice. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm more of a sword and shield, you know, user season uh, says. You're yeah. forgetting one of the strongest magic items they got. <clears throat> oh, the power of friendship? No. Well, yes. Oh. But it's uh, the horn that Susan gets, the carved horn... Which, whenever you blow it, help will arrive. Wow. Yeah, and she blows it, which... Oh, she blows it all right. Yes, which gets them reinforcements in the yeah. battle. And in the second movie, it does. it's like the entire plot. And in the third movie, it's still there. And that's the only magic item that remains relevant throughout the series. Wow. They don't keep the healing potion? It, it, Lucy keeps it, but she's only in the first three books. Oh, so, really? I yeah. didn't know that. I've only read the first one. That sounds dark. Oh, dude, yeah, she's uh, she's uh, kill-hulled, you know? Oh, I can see that. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's not right. <laughs> but uh, She tried to lead a mutiny. Yeah, a big She believed that she had the power over life and death. <laughs> oh, God. Now, that's a rewriting history. But, yeah, a big part of the series is you go to Narnia, like, quote-unquote, when you need it. And then you can kind of outgrow Narnia, and you stop going back there. Okay. So, by the third book, Peter and Susan don't go. It's just Edmund and Lucy. And then in the fourth one, I think Edmund and Lucy stop going, but their cousin goes. Is who's it because, in the third like, one. it's like when you grow up, you lose connection with your imagination? Is that the idea? I think it's that they got all the character development they needed. <laughs> You don't think it's anything deeper? I I think that is the deeper meaning, actually. Like, I guess character development is just my nerdy way of saying it, but they've grown as a person Mm -hmm. to the point where, like, Narnia, they don't need Narnia anymore. Like, Narnia obviously needed them, but at the same time... Yeah, wait, aren't these kids supposed to be royalty? Yeah, from the prophecy. And what happens to the kingdom once, you know, the kids, like, are in charge and then they just peace out? Yeah, There's that's a major power vacuum. Yeah, that's the second movie. Oh, dude. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Hundred, a few hundred years later, when everything has gone to shit. All right. Well, we can cover that in a few. Yeah, days. I, I didn't know that that was actually addressed. Yeah, yeah, that's a big part of the series. Narnia is never like the first movie ever again. So yeah, there's that prophecy that. Human children were will come into Narnia and help Aslan raise an army to defeat the evil White Witch and end the 100-year winter. 
And um, I thought that was pretty specious. I mean, humans have to come in to be the rulers of this land that they've never been to. Well, I mean, we're um, supposed to uh, lord over ma- uh, beast, right? That's that's human's role? Yes, that's Job. when Aslan made man. When Aslan made humans. <laughs> that is, yeah. yeah, that is a pretty in, Christian. In his own image. Yes. That is a pretty Christian view of nature, so I guess that works. Yeah. I mean, it tracks. Um, it tracks, that's what I mean. Um, Jamie, you have been so silent on the subject of uh, class struggle to this point. Well, I mean, I was just blinded by the light of Christ and didn't, you know, I couldn't see through. I can see clearly now, though. The mm-hmm. rain is gone. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, I think what really stood out to me was actually um, how brutally this film portrays the uh, pl- uh, prison industrial complex. The way that yeah. Ed, the way that Edmund is, um, you know, captured by the Queen, imprisoned along with you know a fellow political prisoner in yes. Mister Tumnus. Um, you know, he's kind of like put into this, uh, you know, situation where you know he's a young child put into shackles and chains, and and you know, all because you know he believed that the Queen was going to help him. Instead, she kind of uses this influence to. Uh, unjustly imprison a child, um, and, you know, again, a political rival. Um, there's an inquisitorial squad led by Malgram, the wolfman who should probably be a lot more intimidating looking. Yeah. But, you know, not really seeing it. He's just um, a wolf. But, yeah, most of the, the class allegory in this one, I think, has a lot to do with, like, kind of the hierarchy of animals. You know, some animals are viewed as more deserving of, um, you know, justice or having a voice. You know, the lion, of course, is often called the king of the jungle, I believe. Ah, yes. That checks out. So, and there's a lot of royalty. You know, these children have, you know... Now, I will admit that they're coming from a, a harsher background, right? But, I mean, they are not royalty on Earth or in our reality, but they go to this place and these young children are just kind of ascended to this position of being above everyone else. There's this belief that this one select group of people from this one select place are somehow inherently better than everyone else. They are entitled to rule over everybody else. So meanwhile, you've got, say, Mr. Beaver, who speaks with a very working-class Cockney English accent. These kids have more of a you know, right. Queen's English uh, dialect going on. Yes. Um, you know, there's obviously some animals fall outside of this, but you've got these, like, the thuggish wolves. You've got the unrefined uh, beaver people. And then this group of children, unqualified to rule, but are ascended to royalty through no action of their own or or any inherent virtue beyond just being ascribed to what should be the ruling class. Yeah. I Scathing think they, uh, indictment of the class system of England, if you ask me. Yeah, I think it was kind of a learn-on-the-job sort of position they took up, which isn't what you really want out of a king. No. no. But, or uh, any kind of, I mean, it's not really any political system that I believe in. Yeah. You'll figure it out, eventually. And they were ordained by Aslan. Yes. Right? Yes. These young white children just happen to be the most important people in the world. What a story to yeah. tell our children. Yeah. Mm, it's true. 
But yeah, everyone gives deference to them. You know, they're they're put into positions that um, they're not qualified for. So yeah, I, I took a lot of issue with the messaging of this and how poorly it handles. Now, a lot of fantasy movies do a much better job of portraying the nuance of social class, tend to promote a more um, egalitarian worldview. This one didn't did not really uh, live up to my standards and my expectations mm-hmm. as far as that goes. Now, we've said his name a few times. A character who, uh, you know, there's a few different opinions of. Mr. Tumnus. Ah, yes. Mr. Tumnus. Yeah, we haven't talked about him. him. Yeah, we've we've said his name a few times. But uh he's a satyr. Yes, he is. Which means he is a orgiastic follower of Bacchus. Hell yeah. And I think probably the most troubling and problematic character in the film. Yes. Is that is that fair to say? I don't think so. But you both walked away with that description in mind. <laughs> I don't know if he was the most troubling character, but I was troubled by. Well, there actions. was Edmund. That's true. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. Treacherous. So, for those of you who don't recall, Mister Tumnus has what I would say is an inappropriately close relationship to Lucy, the youngest daughter. She's like five. I think she's older than five. Uh, but I'm not a good not judge. By much. I think she's like eight. I'd buy seven. Seven. Maybe. Lucy, the youngest, is easily the most well-spoken and charismatic person of the four children, I think. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll agree. She's... Susan is is woefully underdeveloped as a character yeah. in the story. Peter is given... find that throughout the series. Peter is given a lot of kind of bombast, but kind of unearned. And Edmund, you know... I mean, Chelsea's made a strong case for him, but I mean, he is the most interesting of the yeah. of the children. Besides maybe, besides maybe Lucy. Yeah, partly because of Trent. Yeah, Lucy's the face. Edmund is the wild card. Yeah. Susan is the brains, and Peter is the brawn. He is the Chad. Yeah. He is the Chad. He once admonishes uh, Susan for trying to be too smart. I was so. I was so taken aback by that line, I could hardly speak. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but not surprised. Susan, you're so silly. Women can't read. (laughs) Oh, God, Peter, why? (laughs) Such a Chad. Yeah. But yeah, so I I thought that, I don't know, the coding of the relationship between Tumnus and Lucy, I I thought there was a lot of red flags going on. It was very awkward. He's, I mean, he is kind of like an adult, and he's coaxing this young child to go back to his home. Dude, he's over a hundred years then old. Then he drugs her, and then he Magically tries drugs. to kidnap her, her, but then thinks better of it and lets her leave. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Helps her leave. Not, not comfortable with that portrayal. Yes, he has a change of heart at the last moment. Yeah, and then she's pretty bummed about it. Yeah. And later in the film, she and Aslan kind of save him from this petrification he's trapped in. Yeah. yeah, but she seems to have some Stockholm Syndrome going on for Mr. Tucker. I know, because at the end, after she they had their coronation ceremony, and they're all sitting on the balcony watching Aslan walk down the beach, leaving only two sets of footprints. <laughs> oh, um, <yes. laughs> oh, man, that was one of my favorite shots in the whole movie. Though. I know. And then um, she and Mr. Tomnus give each other a long, deep look. It is uncomfortable. <laughs> And they look at each other, like, lovingly. It is so uncomfortable. (laughs) 
I was like, are they gonna start making out? What is going on here? Yeah, no. I can I can see where you're coming from. Let me give you my perspective on that. Right? Please do. Okay, sure, yeah. I saw this movie when I was seven years old. Okay. And I've been seeing it. And you've been like, ruined ever since. Yeah, every every like year or so since then. I've yes. seen this movie a lot of times. I never, before watching it with you guys, thought that <laughs> Tumnus was like... A fucking freak, right? <laughs> I was like, he's, he's a satyr, Jack. He's nice, okay. and he's living in a fear-based society, right? Right, and he's like, I will be executed if I don't turn this girl over. Okay, and he is like a nice guy. He's charming, and he's genuinely friendly. So he's like, oh, I'll, I'll be friendly to her, and it is his intention to kidnap her. He invites her back for tea. He plays a little tune on his magic flute. To on his roofy flute. flute. Yeah, his roofy flute. She falls asleep, and she wakes up a minute later, and he's kind of, like, crying in the corner. And he's like, yo, I'm really sorry. I'm, like, kidnapping you. And she's like, yo, you don't have to do that. And he's like, yeah, you're right. And so he helps her escape. I, I saw that as him being a good person, and he has no hope. Because he was alive before the witch took over a hundred years ago. He lived life in a good society, and he's been oppressed for a hundred years, and he's been under, you know, he's been living in fear for a hundred years. Yeah. So, he felt like he had no choice but to kidnap her, and then he kind of gets his, ironically, humanity when he, uh, <laughs> when she is very friendly to him. And I think Lucy, one of her main character traits is that she's a very friendly person, and she believes there's good in everybody. That's kind of one of her things throughout the series. So it makes okay. sense that she likes and trusts him so quickly. And then she's worried about him because she saw that he was a good guy, even though they did that. And so she's worried about him when they find his place ransacked. And then at the end, she's like, oh, my buddy is saved. And then they think about hooking up for that one second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Man, and then, uh, yeah, Not but they don't. Cool, they don't, though. <laughs> Not cool. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, it's unclear if he can be seen as an adult anyway. Like, but he's still, over a hundred. Yeah. I don't even want to enter into this conversation. Yeah. I just, uh, yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe it's being portrayed as uh, like a little too intimate. It was right. just they were yeah, a little yeah. too friendly for my personal comfort. I get that. Both of yeah. their characters are supposed to be friendly as shit. I mean, it's different so. when you watch something as a child you'll get something different out of it when you yeah, watch it true. again as an adult yeah yeah i if still don't see it wrong. but i get it okay i get it though it's there to yeah. be seen yeah yeah <laughs> because yeah. it's happening yeah sure maybe <laughs> yeah or not yeah or it's bad yeah, I, I or thought it could be bad editing bad it could be editing. bad edi it could be you know over dramatic face acting and bad editing could have really been the, the problem oh yes Okay, so I wanted to, yeah, just to show you how much of a Christian allegory this film was. I didn't finish pointing out. As if we out, need more evidence. I didn't finish pointing out how many there were. Yeah. Okay. Count them off. Yes, so the White Witch is the devil, right? Okay. Yes. Bought and sold. Or also a pagan queen, though. Right. The trees are on her side. And later, the trees are the messengers of Aslan yeah. when they convert. So that's kind of like angels. Some of the angels are even on the devil's side, that's right? That's true. Fair, yeah. yes. Because the devil is an angel. Yes. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. Um, My devil is an angel. Sons of Adam, daughters of Eve. You know how that is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Father Christmas. Yeah, Father Christmas. Yeah. 
Aslan, yeah, he goes to sacrifice himself on the stone table, but Susan and Lucy go with him. And they're having a similar conversation that Mary Magdalene and Mother Mary had with Jesus on his way to the cross. Yeah, and then when they're sitting with Aslan's dead body after the queen and all the other monsters have gone. Yeah. Which is also what both of the Marys do with Jesus. And they hold him in the exact same position as some, like, old Renaissance art. Okay. That's interesting. With Jesus's body. Okay. Yeah. So that was a direct illusion. Okay. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. So that's a thing. And, uh, yeah, I think that might be all of them. Okay. Yeah, but there was a lot. They yeah. actually did quite a few illusions. Right. Also, I guess Edmund is supposed to be, like, the Judas figure, but he gets... Yeah, he is. Yeah, but he... He gets, like, that wish fulfillment better ending than Judas did. I know. Yeah. Which I'm a big fan of. I like Edmund. He's one of the best characters in the series, I think. Nice. After his redemption arc? Yeah, dude. I'm a sucker for redemption characters. Me too. I, I actually really like that. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you sold me a little bit on Edmund. I think I can relate to him a bit now. Dude. You gotta put it in got, perspective. He got Turkish delight. <laughs> Yeah. He would have killed his own sibling for a Turkish delight. Yeah, and a sip of hot chocolate, who too? Who wouldn't? Yeah, it's true. Jack, so, who wouldn't? No one. So there's one no character one we haven't talked about yet, the wardrobe. Mr. Beaver. Oh. Uh. <laughs> the wardrobe. I know. And, I know. Let's, let's really get to the... I know exactly where you're going. How did they get that wardrobe into the room with the tiny door? Uh, yeah. They probably built it in there, you know. Yes, well... Yes, it's true. This wardrobe is big. I Very mean, big. Really big. It's Very a, big. It's practically its own room on its own. Yeah. And it's in this completely empty room. This wardrobe is larger than our apartment. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. this room has so much natural light. It's why. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Great nice room for painting. Yeah, really yeah. nice room. It's a shame it's empty, except for the wardrobe. It's uh, all carved with a tree on it, and it's got all these other cool yeah, carvings right. on it. The wardrobe's nice. I'm, I'm speaking lie. with Josh, my also, buddy it's who great. we watched it with. So you're going to talk about the lore of the wardrobe. Yeah. And where it, how, why it's a portal to Narnia. Oh, uh, yes. But the lore for this wardrobe. The professor, Professor Slughorn, yes, right? that's right. Uh, yeah, so the way to access Narnia in the film is you go through the wardrobe at specific times. You know, it's not, like, on a schedule. It's, like, it gives you permission to go in, right? It yeah. chooses when the portal will be open. That's true, because at one point, Susan touches the back of it, and it's not there. Yeah. Right. It's true. Good point. And, uh, yeah, they inspect it. It's not there. It only lets you... Uh, Narnia is only open to you when you need it to be open to you. It that's a big thing in the series. Way. Yeah. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why I say it's for character development also. They establish it only opens to you when you need it. Okay. Not when you want it. And, uh, okay. yeah, on the wardrobe... So Narnia is not big on consent. You're right. I guess not. Professor Slughorn, he tells them, you'll get... I expect you'll be able to get back uh, there when you are least expecting it, like when you're not looking for it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's another Christian theme, I'm pretty sure. But, uh... Oh, really? Yeah, I think that's part of it. But, uh... Yeah, the wardrobe is very intricately carved. And the biggest carving in the center is a tree. And the reason for this is when Professor Slughorn was younger, he lived on this huge property where the, you know, the book kind of takes place. Okay. And, uh... 
That's the book, the, the prequel book that's at the, was written at the end of the series, but it's actually a prequel. It's called The Magician's... Nephew. Uh, nephew. The yes. Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yes, <laughs> exactly, with Nicolas Cage. Okay. Yes, but uh, yeah, he lives on this property as a young boy, and he, like, writes underneath this tree, and the tree, it has, like, a big knot in it, which opens up as a portal to Narnia. And he goes through it and has his own adventures in Narnia. And at one point, kind of basically at the end of the book, spoiler alert, he, uh, <laughs> the, tree, yeah, the tree is like dying. And he carves the wardrobe from the tree that's the portal to Narnia. And that's kind of why it's still a portal later on. Oh, cool. Yes. That's awesome. In another one of the books... They do not use the wardrobe or the portal or, you know, a tree. Uh, the protagonists are just magically summoned to Narnia when wow. someone blows Susan's horn. Oh, that's kind of hype. Yeah. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Um, is that in the second one? Yeah. I saw the first bit of the movie. Actually, yes. When you were yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, I think it's time to go into... It's evil, stupid, or misunderstood. The part of the podcast where we examine the motivations of the villain and determine if they're evil, stupid, or misunderstood. So, guys, the White Queen. I think she had a name, but I don't you remember think what it was. She's the villain. <laughs> you, oh, you do you want to talk about Edmund? Oh, uh, we'll talk about both of them. I think. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I mean, do yeah, you not I think guess... that Satan is the villain of the story? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, yeah. Satan's always my hero of the story. But... Hey, there you go. She's kind of unrepentantly evil. Um, I mean, some would say the embodiment of evil. She doesn't have a yeah. lot of depth. She's pretty flat as a character. And um, she's just kind of there to be reviled and hated by the audience and the other good characters. Quote-unquote good characters of the film. And, um... She just wants to dominate over everybody and maintain her power. That Those are her main motivations. And to keep it cold all the time because uh, winter is uh, kind of how she keeps her power. Uh, yeah. She's tied to winter. So, uh, and which is a season of death. Um, so, yeah, she uh, she's kind of just evil. Yeah, I might compare her if we're talking the pagan correlation to, like, Maeve. I believe is her name, the, like, Winter yeah. Queen Fae? Yeah. Queen? Yeah. The Queen of, like, Mauve. Ice, Wind, and Darkness. Maeve. Yeah, Mauve. Yeah. That's kind of her deal as well. Like Dresden Files. Yeah. She's in that. Shout out! <laughs> uh, good series. You Mab should read is it. the queen. Maeve is her daughter. Yeah, Mab. Mab. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it's based on, you know, like, the Actual fairy queen. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah, and obviously, like... English and European fairy tradition. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I I agree. She's just pretty much pure evil. So yeah. I might be showing too I don't much think of. She's stupid. I might be no. showing too much of my hand and revealing a lot of my pagan sympathies here, but you know, she's a woman who is, you know, put in, who wants to, you know, usurp the power of an unjust rulership. Um, you know, now her methods aren't perfect. Right, but she's giving representation to groups of animals that are historically misrepresented by society, viewed as dark or evil. They are dark. 
It's true. She, you know, believes that she, you know, you were saying, Jack, that she was there at creation, right? Yeah. She's seen, um, you know, a, a taste all of, of power. And, what you know, in her perspective, why does Aslan get all the good press when he's not the only being of immense power? She's clearly a powerful being. She's a skilled warrior. She's a, a general who has... The respect of her uh, of her army, yeah. you know, she's we see her being a little, um, you know, overly uh, again. She's not perfect. She's not a little not overly rough with Edmund, but you know, her her troops seem to genuinely respect her. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and she's a frontline general. She, she, you know, she's not some puppet ruler who's leading from the rear. She's right there at the head of the battle, going in dual wielding. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you got to respect that. Quite badassly as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I'm also sympathetic to, like, the, the pagan allegories, you know, the way that they portray her in, like, these elaborate, like, kind of, like, primal uh, outfits. You know, there's, like, the one scene uh, at the at Stonehenge where she's wearing, like, the raven wing outfit and everything like, yeah. associated with nature she's a force of nature yeah, yeah and, she is. and you know she's yeah, she is she doesn't have to be held back by the constraints of society and you know quote-unquote civilized expectations she's going to do what she's going to do you can't quell her any more than you can stop the winter storm yeah until right. aslan bites her face off that isn't even the end of her in the series. Oh, spoilers. Yeah, yeah I know. In the second this one. This is a spoiler-tastic episode. It's true. If she's a force of nature, she can't really die. Yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is I think that the evil queen is actually quite misunderstood. I yeah, don't think, bold. Um, <laughs> I don't think Edmund qualifies as um, like a villain. He's no. he, he does play the antagonist for part of the narrative. Misunderstood heavily. Yeah, Maybe an anti-hero. Maybe... He's, he's misunderstood. Yeah. He does get a redemption arc. I think he's mainly yeah. just misunderstood. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have lumped him into our usual category of people that we need to uh, break I mean, down. He's not. I I made a lot of jokes, but I mean, he sides at the end with of the, the day, witch early on, so I can see why. But yeah, but he's being. I mean, you know, oftentimes the hero or the you know protagonist is misled by the villain. Yeah, and up to a certain point. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. But I don't think she should have been the villain. Yeah. So. I'm pretty sure the villains are supposed to be pure evil in this. Oh, absolutely. And the, and the good guys are supposed to be pure good in this. Yeah. So, uh, well, that makes it pretty easy, I think. <laughs> yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Though, we all have different interpretations. That is true. Well, guys, then I guess it's time for us to go around, share one epic moment or feature of this movie, and then give it a rating in one to ten swords. Chelsea, do you want to go first? Sure. An epic uh, moment of the film for me was actually when the um, secret, uh, the fur brigade... Uh, was chasing after the siblings and the beaver couple. And um, they didn't use CGI for those scenes. They main like a few times they did, but they mainly used actual oh, yeah. uh, dogs that resembled wolves. <laughs> oh. And they were so cute. They were just running around. They were clearly just running around happy to be out together oh, yeah. and running. And they, they looked like such cute doggos. Yeah, they were they just furry buddies having a good old time. 
And it was so great to see those scenes and like they looked like they were all proud that they got everything right and they were yeah. so cute. They like are. they were smiling. Straight they, yeah. up. They were. Not to anthropomorphize dogs, but they were straight up happy and smiling the whole time. Yes. It was super cute and um I just really enjoyed that, even though like they just stuck with it. It didn't fit the tone of those scenes at all, but they just left it because I guess that was the best they were gonna get. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm happy they did because it was it made it more fun. Maybe they didn't want like if little kids were gonna be watching it, they didn't want them to get too scared. Yeah, I mean I know that the wolf in the Neverending Story has traumatized many a child. So yeah, that was my epic moment, I guess, even though it's a series of moments. And your rating? And my rating is, uh, I'll give it six swords. I thought it was actually a good film, even though, you know, I'm not, um, like, one for the allegory that, that runs throughout it or anything, and I don't like the kind of propaganda against pagan traditions but I, th I still think they're fun movies and um i think they're like well done for children's fantasy movies and i i like the world that they created with the sentient animals it's fun so yeah nice nice so you would show your theoretical non-existent children this movie with a healthy dose of like explaining how allegory works and, and doesn't portray everyone in a fair light Yes, <laughs> exactly. Jack? An epic moment, I think, was when the armies were clashing. And there are so many cool scenes that the Queen invokes in this scene. But there is one scene in particular where the camera is following two griffins flying through this canyon oh, yeah. that the battle is going on in. And the Queen slices one of them down with her sword... And then using her, like, magical pick thing, icicle staff, she stabs one in the chest, which petrifies it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it, the inertia just, like, keeps it flying forward, even though it's made of stone, and it shatters on a cliff, and the rubble from it knocks a bunch of troops over. Yeah. Brutal. Which was, was so cool. That was <laughs> it was It was brutal and very cool. Yeah, the queen is... Uh, like she really shines in she's combat. She's a warrior. Oh, yeah. yeah, she's very cool to watch. That's why I respect fighting. her. Yeah, and uh, the film I'm gonna give. You know, it's my ch it's a childhood movie. I'm gonna give it eight Santa bestowed swords <laughs> like Peter out of ten. Nice. I you know I enjoy it. I I think it gives good morals. I wish it wasn't like so. Yeah, like you said, the anti pagan propaganda. Mm -hmm. Uh. But Aslan is still my boy. <laughs> he's, a makes... he's a fucking handsome lion. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And there was two sets of footprints. There's yeah. only two sets of footprints in the sand. It's because he's G's. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the shot of him walking yeah, yeah. the page. You know, that's fine. I, I think it's it's good. That you yeah, yeah. It. yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So, my epic moment is also in the battle scene. Nice. I got so excited... When the centaur charged out and then dual wielded long swords and went yes. in the battle dual wielding. So badass. I don't know how I've never come up with the concept of a dual wielding centaur ranger before, but now that is absolutely on the top of my list of characters I want to play. Yeah. Um, it was the, the, just the, the fight scenes in this movie were um, pretty impressive. I, the, I wrote down, you know. This is pretty intense for a kid's movie. It's, yeah. it's pretty yeah. uh, violent. I don't know 
if I necessarily approve of that, but, you know, as a grown-up who can um, tell the difference between fantasy and reality, um, you know, I, I appreciated it. I thought the fight yep. scene was really cool. Um, and, you know, uh, pretty pretty tight, you know, tight runtime and everything, so I, I was happy with that. Um, yeah. I will give this one a five swords and a short sword. Um, definitely not my favorite. A lot of fun. Plenty of things wrong with it. Plenty of flaws. But, you know, it uh, it's definitely one that you can have a good time and enjoy. Um, so, yeah. Five and a half swords. That's, that's my final offer. Mm. All right. And you know what that means. Now that we've got the movie out of the way, I think it's time that we head off to the bounty board. Oh, yeah. So, what's on the bounty board for this week? Jack, I'm glad you asked, because this week we have a very important bounty for our listeners. Oh? Now, this is the holiday season, and I hope that everyone's in a giving mood, and we have a a very worthy cause that we want to get out there and and make people aware of. Um, Our friend Brianne is uh, going through some tough times right now, and she's currently got a GoFundMe up to try to raise some money so that she can find a new place to live for her and her son. So uh, Brianne's a really dear friend of all three of us. Yeah, um, that's right. Uh-huh. Yeah, we've, we've known her for years. Uh, she went to college with Chelsea and I. Um, she's a great person, uh, you know, a, a really uh, outstanding student and... Um, a great mother to her son, Andy. They really need your help right now. So if you have anything you can give, we're going to put up a link on our Facebook page where you can go to Brianne's GoFundMe. So like I said, if you have anything you can give this holiday season, please check out our Facebook page. Click on that GoFundMe link for a place to live for Brianne and Andy. And, you know, anything you can spare would be a big help towards a very worthy cause. And, you know, I, I said a lot of stuff about how much I don't like kids in this episode, but that does not apply to Andy. Andy's the best. Yes. Yes. He's great. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, um, we're going to put that up again on our Facebook page. Please come on over to the Swords and Satire Facebook and click on that GoFundMe link. Mm-hmm. Do we have any other quests to send the listeners on today, guys? A spinoff of that. Support one of your friends, if you can, or multiple as many as you can. Yeah, and give yourself a hug because you deserve it. If you're listening perhaps on a train or a bus, hug yourself right now. <laughs> <laughs> that cannot possibly go wrong. If you're at work and you're not supposed to be listening, just do it anyway and be discreet. Or don't. <laughs> give yourself a discreet hug. Yes. And for me, I say, um, you know, play a nice game. Get your loved ones together. Play something cooperative. Don't be so competitive. Yeah. Chill out a little bit. Yeah. It's cold out, so it's a good time to chill. Do something cooperative and, and uh, you know, fun for the whole family. Yeah. Snuggle around a fire with some blankets. Hot some chocolate. Some hot chocolate. Listen, and River uh, City Girls. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's great. Which is a game that I'm playing these days. <laughs> okay. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Listen to some Vanilla Ice, you know? <laughs> 
with the whole family. Ooh, with the ice. Word up to your mother. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, then with that, I guess it's time to rewrite history. Oh, yeah. What do we do in rewriting history? Chelsea, I'm glad you asked. Rewriting history is the part of the show where we talk about a sequel, a reboot, or a spinoff we'd like to see for the movie we just watched, which was The Chronicles of Narnia, colon, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. So I'm not yeah. often a fan of gritty <laughs> reboots, but I would definitely like to do some exploration of what happens to one psyche when they're, uh, they're forced to live multiple lives and then revert back to past points in their uh, childhood, That's but with a- all the memories of... What they've experienced. Yeah, that doesn't quite sound like a reboot. That sounds like a sequel. Um, dude, it depends. I could see it as a reboot. It's kind of a spin-off. If they keep trying to get back to Narnia, but it never comes back. Oh. And That's the... got to be Edmund, right? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Fuck. Oh, my God. It's the only place where he finds love and acceptance. Dude, listeners, Chelsea just made such a demonic face when she <laughs> said that, too. <laughs> Maybe we can make a face of that and put it up on our Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, it would be Edmund. He'd be so fun. Trying to chase that dragon, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. You never catch the dragon. He'd be like, Lucy, you remember Mr. Tumnus? You remember Aslan? And she'd be like, yo, my imaginary friends from my childhood? (laughs) No, we were all there. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I could see Edmund being messed up and then having this, like, like, hero complex in life. And we could show him going through therapy and dealing with his past demons and his constant need for approval in therapy. Yes. Yes. That could actually be like a second redemption arc. And he keeps calling like Peter the High King and stuff and like really looking up to him for advice. Oh yeah, he does it like in front of company. Like Peter comes home with his like college girlfriend and Edmund's like, oh my lord. Yeah. And Peter's just like, oh, what? no, I what? No. Yeah, dude. And Edmund is like destroyed because he looks up to Peter so much. Yeah. And Peter was his ruler, dude. And uh, yeah, that's destroyed. And then Peter sees how much Edmund really cares for him and respects him and is like crushed at seeing his brother go insane. Oh, God. <laughs> this is a dark reboot. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's I just love it. like you a. You said you wanted a gritty reboot. I yeah. do. I did. <laughs> I like did a, and I do. We'll do like a Joker style movie. Oh, Edmund. <laughs> the Chronicles of Edmund. <laughs> <laughs> the Asylum, the Escape, and the Resurrection. Oh, oh right. Wow. Wait, does yes. he become the Christ image? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, what if after all this time, like going through this, you know, uh, rejection and people not believing, what if he really is. The resurrected savior at the end. Oh, damn. What a twist. Oh, wow. Maybe he does get back to Narnia in the end. (gasps) Yeah, that'd be so cool. At the end, he gets back to Narnia and Aslan is like, good job. You kept your heart pure. Yeah, that's you so good. You kept your eyes on the prize. Yeah. What would it be like when he goes back? To Narnia? Yeah. Oh, I imagine he's like walking through like the marble halls and everyone is like clapping for him. Well, let's see. They've, been, like, they've been through a horrible power vacuum from when their oh, uh, rulers disappeared. Wait, dude. If, it had, if like 10 years pass on Earth, it would be like 
thousands of years yeah. in Narnia. Yeah. This time goes by so much faster there. It, it could be like modern day in the Narnia world by the time. Oh, that's kind of cool. Like oh. technologically. Oh. Dude, oh, so this is what you're saying is this is a uh, backdoor prequel to um, Zootopia. I was thinking like what happens is the, the non-human hybrid animals have basically uh, waged a genocide against the oh, human fuck. hybrid animals oh, and they've taken it for all the slights that they've had to endure the sure. whole time. Yeah. This is the gritty reboot, guys. Okay, yes. okay. So, you know, all that's left is the fully animal uh, sentient being. So Edmund is this total anomaly to them and they're like, oh, we've heard legends of, you know, the hairless ape. Yes. <laughs> And here you are, the the savior, the glowing savior. Oh, here so they to... see him as a fellow animal. Oh, right, exactly. They don't see a difference because, because it's been so animal. it's been so long at this point. And yeah. then we kind of yeah. Then we have this thing where you know the 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 metaphor that we're putting out there is that you know humans are no better than animals right. just because we have higher thought function. We don't deserve a higher place amongst them. Oh, I love it. This is great. That's yeah. a good idea. That's much. You know, that's much nicer than what would happen to Narnia if the siblings didn't show up again. All right. Well, we've got our rewritten history. Um, Poor Edmund, dude. We never have a nice timeline. We're we're running a little long here, but uh, do you guys have any thoughts for Can You Roleplay It? The part of the show where we talk about how this movie would fit into a role-playing game or role-playing setting? I think that, um, so we're talking about the siblings here. I think that Peter could be a paladin. I could see it. Okay. Sword and board, you know. And his, We um, haven't seen any magic from him yet. His, um, or any faith. the resemblance of Aslan. Oh, right, he's a paladin of Aslan. That. that was That's what sick. I was thinking, yep. yeah. We've got the lion head mantle on, on the shield boss. Saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, if you wanted the edgy reboot, he could be a Hexblade, oh. and his patron could be Santa Claus. Oh! That's what I'm saying, yeah. He's that's, just super religious to Aslan. That's pretty cool. But he gets his wow. powers from Santa. <laughs> Father Christmas. Hell, Father Christmas, yes. This that's is British. Cool. Yes, you're right. right. I, I do think Susan's a ranger. I mean, she uses a bow. Yep. And she yep. has the horn to call in re- reinforcements. That's kind of rangery. Yeah. I can I can dig it. She's cunning. Yeah. I think I'm gonna skip Edmund. <laughs> um, not just, not <laughs> totally just for now. I because I think Lucy actually could be a druid. She speaks to animals oh. and she not very well according to Jack in the second movie. She's the one who has the best imagination and. Um, Fate. That's neat. Yeah, really unique take. I was gonna say Bard. I yeah, because unfortunately, she has such charisma and like she's a diplomat. I guess. Yeah, she is. Hmm, okay. Yeah, cool. but yeah, Druid is a really unique take. I can see it. Yeah, I, I just don't see, see enough she magic heals people. The yeah, she does heal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but I mean that's more of an alchemical healing. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Santa patron. I mean Father Christmas patron. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're all warlocks. <laughs> <laughs> that could I could see that. That could be a warlock. His uh, patron could be uh, Mab. Oh yeah, I could see it. Winter goddess. Yeah. And then he switches to Father Christmas. <laughs> I was yeah. thinking if you wanted to do head. Uh, Edmund in D&D, you could do a cleric of Aslan. Because he's the one who goes, like, hardcore, like, put your faith in Aslan. 
for the rest Zealotry. of the series. Later on. Yeah, he and Lucy are like, yeah. Aslan Volt. Yeah. And Peter is actually the one later on who's like, yo, Aslan isn't like around. It's been a long time. And then Edmund, or Lucy's like, no, I saw him. And Edmund is like, you know, I believe her. Yeah. Oh, that's a callback to this movie where he denies her. Uh, In that one, he stands up and is like, I saw him too, you know. Oh, I get it. Why his denial is like a Christian, part of the Christian allegory because he's like denying his faith. Right. Yeah. Okay. Can't be having that. Mm-mm. And later he, he stays faithful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Edmund, I could see a cleric. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, if you were gonna assign magical classes to them, so they're not all fighters and rogues. <laughs> yeah. Why do you need anything but fighters and rogues in a party? You're right. Somebody could play a centaur. As long as they have the mage slayer feet, then they're good. You know? <laughs> Always the mage slayer feet with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. You know, it's my favorite. This would make a pretty awesome adventure path. Yeah, yeah, it would. Also, mm-hmm. like. Anything you think of can pretty much be in this setting. It's just like every fantasy thing thrown in there. And, oh, so it's Faerun. Yeah. Creatures from many different types of folklore and mythology from many different cultures are all thrown in there. Yeah. Like Faerun. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So Look to uh, that for inspiration. Yeah. Well, that about does it here on Swords and Satire. Thank you for listening. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And, you know, if... If you have it in your heart, uh, go ahead, and if you're on iTunes or Apple Music, uh, leave us a five-star review if you had a good time and you thought a little bit and laughed a little bit along with us. Um, Once again, we're going to put a link to our friend Brianne's GoFundMe on our Facebook page, so we hope that you might be able to have a chance to uh, check that out. And that about does it here today. So, until next time... Hail Crom!